Psalm 106 is a song about human sin and divine compassion. As noted in our previous study, this song was written during the exilic period, and it is confessional, recounting Israel's history of God's faithfulness despite their faithlessness. And so we see that God has compassion upon his people, so that when they repent, he delivers them from captivity. Again, human sin and divine compassion. Now, this lengthy psalm is divided into several sections. Last time, we looked at the contemplation in verses 1 through 5. And the psalmist begins with a word of praise in verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Or who can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. And he continued his contemplation with a prayer in verses 4 to 5. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Now, as we set the stage for this psalm, we note here that the psalmist begins with this contemplation. And any time that we have sinned and we go seeking God's forgiveness, divine compassion, uh, and we acknowledge our sin, we need to begin with a word of praise and prayer. We need to begin by noting who God is and praising him for what he has done. And then we need to bring our prayer to him. Now, the contemplation is followed by a confession. And this confession begins in verse 6 and goes all the way down to verse 45. And so what the psalmist sets out to do is to confess his sins and the sins of the people. And it's interesting that he connects their current situation back to the previous sins of the forefathers or of the previous generations. In verses 6 through 12, he dealt with God's patience. You know, anytime that we come to God, it's always good to acknowledge that God is long-suffering. Notice he says in verse 6, We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. And so we see God's patience. But now let us go to verses 13 to 23 and note it, the punishment, Israel's punishment. Verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. When they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. He made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Notice we begin in verse 13. 
they soon forgot his works. Now, that ties us back to verse 7, where it says that our fathers did, in Egypt did not understand your wonders. You know, so there's, a, you know, God has done miraculous things. Besides the uh, incidents in Egypt, there's the parting of the Red Sea. And then there's the provision of water uh, at Meribah, or at, at the place where the bitter waters uh, uh, were. Then there was the provision of manna and of quail and, and, and many such uh, things of that nature. And yet they forgot his works. You know, and so much like us, when God intervenes in our life, in that moment we rejoice. But how soon we forget what God has done. So much so that by the time the next trial or testing or tribulation comes our way, we're bemoaning the situation. We've completely forgotten what God did for us in the past. And we're soon grumbling and complaining. Notice here, they did not wait for his counsel. That is his advice, his wisdom, his knowledge. Instead of seeking God, they desired a desire. That's the idea of craved intensely. They desired a desire. They lusted exceedingly and they tempted God. Now, it's interesting. This same idea comes out in the book of Numbers. And there are several occasions where Numbers says that they tested God. And uh, their testing God was related to the word rebellion. They rebelled against God. You know, God said, do this. They did the opposite. And we see uh, some examples here of that rebellion. First, they made demands upon God. Uh, They asked him uh, rather than, uh, or they demanded him to direct them and to provide for them rather than asking God. You know, some might say, well, is there really a difference? You're getting your point across. Well, there is a big difference. We're not in a position to demand anything of God. We can request, and God is certainly happy to hear us and and provide for us on the basis that it's what's best for us. But to stand in the place of demanding something from God is to place ourselves above God. And so they demanded Yahweh, do this and do that. And we see this illustrated in Exodus fifteen twenty four. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Later they cried out, Oh, that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt. You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Exodus sixteen three. And of course, you know, God was going to provide for his people. He didn't leave them out there to die. But, you know, forget what he did in Egypt. Forget what he did at the Red Sea. All of a sudden, our bellies are hungry. And Moses, it's all your fault. You've brought us out here to die. What has God done for us? Well, of course, God does provide for Israel. Exodus 16, verse 15, he gave them their request. He gave them food, but he sent a leanness on their soul. Now, it's interesting here, uh, it's, it's, uh, the idea is a wasting disease, all right? They were afflicted with some kind of disease, uh, probably that came from the provision of the quail in Numbers eleven thirty three. So it's interesting here, yeah, God gave them what they wanted, but uh, for the moment their bellies were full, but they didn't realize that at the same time they were being poisoned. Uh, they were going to be destroyed, they were going to be killed by this wasting disease, You know, and yes, you say, well, God answered me. Oh, he might have answered your demand, but you better stop and consider what else he gave you with that demand. You know, yeah, you can get an answer from demand, and yes, you can get an answer from a request, but the outcome is far different. 
demands always end in punishment, where requests always end in blessings. So, these people are afflicted. Why? They're punished, they're afflicted because of their spiritual poverty. And they're in constant rebellion. Verse 16 uh, recalls the events of Dathan and Abiram, who uh, were part of Korah's rebellion against Moses and Aaron in number 16, verse 1. And you'll recall there that Moses was God's spokesman. He was the leader. Aaron was his brother. Uh, and he was appointed as the priest of Yahweh. Well, Korah and Dathan and Abiram weren't satisfied with that. They wanted Moses replaced. They wanted the Aaron replaced as the high priest. It didn't matter to them that it was God who appointed these men. Uh, they decided that uh, Moses and Aaron had exalted themselves, according to number 16, verse 3, above the congregation of the Lord. God, however, put a quick end to this rebellion. He split the earth and swallowed up Dathan and Abiram and their tents. Again, we see this in Numbers 16, verse 17, 23 to 24, and 31 to 33. Then 250 of their followers were consumed by fire. God sent, brought down fire from heaven and consumed these 250 followers of Dathan and Abiram. But that was not the end of Israel's rebellion. Again, you would think, okay, wait a minute. We made a demand of God. He gave us a request, but he also gave us a wasting disease. Uh, you know, okay, we've been healed from that. Uh, all right, well, let's rebel again. Wow, uh, these two guys and their family and all their possessions just got swallowed up into the earth. 250 of their followers just got destroyed by fire. Hey, you know, we, we, need, to, we need to straighten up. We need to get right. But no, uh, the greatest sin comes in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 with the violation of the first commandment. Uh, which was to have no other gods before them. What do they do? They make a golden calf and they worship there in Horeb or in Sinai while Moses is up on the mountain. Uh, the people convinced Aaron to make them a molded, molded golden calf and uh, they changed the glory of God into the image of an ox that eats grass. You know, we are not to make an image of God. Uh, we, we're not to have any graven image. Uh, that is uh, part of that command, to have no other gods before us. You know, God is a spirit. He is not, uh, uh, and while we may refer to the God's hands or God's head or God's eyes, you know, he doesn't have a physical form in the same manner in which we have. And because we have not seen that form, we have no business trying to make an image of that form, let alone making it the image of a creature that he has uh, that is less than human. They made God into a into an ox or uh, an ox of gold that eats grass, and so they violated the first commandment. They violated the second commandment, and uh, also as an interesting aside, they fashioned an idol that they were familiar with, one of the Egyptian gods. Well. Uh, the psalmist here charges Israel with spiritual amnesia. They forgot God, their Savior. They forgot the one who saves them. And how many times have we done the same? You know, we look back at our life and we see, here's where I cried out to God, I cried out to God, I cried out to God, God delivered, God delivered, God delivered. But once again, where we fall into rebellion, we fall into sin, we... we mock God. We may even go in and put something before God. Or we try to make God in our image. We want to make God what we want him to be. And, and again, it's because we suffer spiritual amnesia. We forgot 
God. We forgot what he has done for us, the wondrous works that he has done for us, the awesome things, the fearful things that he has done uh, for us. Uh, Folks, listen, we deserve punishment. God is patient, but we deserve punishment. The only thing holding God back from wiping us out is the same thing that held God back from wiping Israel out. Someone stood in the breach. Someone cried out to God. And that one deliverer for Israel was Moses. Today, our deliverer is Jesus Christ. Moses stood in the breach. Today, Jesus stands in the breach. Because he took our punishment. He stood in our place. He enables us to receive grace and mercy from God. We deserve punishment. And that's not to say that God will not chasten us, because those whom he loves, he does chasten. But we never have to fear God's judgment, his eternal judgment, that eternal damnation, because Jesus stands in the breach. And he takes our punishment upon himself so that we can be holy and blameless before his Father, so that we can be... uh, recipients of God's grace and mercy, and so that we can be justified and redeemed and sanctified and secured and one day glorified. Let's praise God for his patience, and let's praise God for our great high priest who stands in our place. Father God, we once again come and give you the the praise and the glory for uh, this great, beautiful psalm that we have here, the psalm of human uh, sin and divine compassion. And Father, we can't help but see ourselves in these people. And uh, Lord, certainly we we don't want to, but we can't help it. Uh, Just like the Israelites of old, so we sin time and again. Just as they rebelled, so do we. Just as they forgot you, so do we. But Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the one who stands in the breach. It is through Jesus Christ that we come to you in prayer even now. Through his work, through his character, through his nature, because of who he is, we can approach you and call you Abba, Father. And so, Lord, I ask that you might forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our rebellion, forgive us of our spiritual poverty, forgive us of our spiritual amnesia. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, pick us up out of the wilderness and, uh, Father, place our feet firmly upon a rock and uh, provide for us, deliver us, Lord, and lead us into the way that you would have us to go. We ask that, Lord, we might glorify you uh, for your patience uh, and also glorify you for the one who stands in our place and takes our punishment. And so, Father, to you be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.